And again, this morning, it's all about your total health. This morning, we're covering women's health, men's health. And up next, we're talking about children's health. We're joined in the studio now by Dr. Bradley Jackson. We're also joined by Dr. Emmanuel Chandler. It's our pleasure to welcome Dr. Jackson and Dr. Chandler to Sunday Morning Magazine. Good morning. Good morning. All right, so let's start with Dr. Jackson. We've had you on several times, but remind our listeners exactly what you do. Rodney, thank you again. Uh, I'm a pediatrician, and uh, I uh, practice with Premier Pediatric Group in Mason, Ohio. And Dr. Chandler, you are at Cincinnati's Children's Hospital, is that right? That is correct. So I work in the Division of Adolescent Medicine. I'm also a pediatrician, specifically trained in the care of teenagers. All right. Let's start at the beginning with toddlers and newborns. As a physician, what do you want parents to know about that age group, Dr. Bradley Jackson? I think one of the most important things is uh, beginning in the prenatal period in uh, good, healthy mothers, um, you know, avoiding of substances that uh, certainly can harm their children. And I also believe it's important to, um, you know, have early prenatal visits uh, with your gynecologist and uh, obstetrician, but also it's important to have a visit with your pediatrician or family practitioner to find out who's the doctor that's going to care for my kids from now until, you know, when they, uh, you know, go on beyond high school. And so it's important to really find out who's going to be providing you with advice on your children and giving you just good guidance and anticipatory um, thoughts on how to manage your children uh, from infancy throughout. Uh, For first-time parents, what advice would you give to parents in terms of the health of their toddler? One of the important things is uh, I think the questions you don't ask are the bad questions. So always ask questions when you're in doubt with your children, and that's our our goal is to really guide you through this uh, parenting experience. And nobody's an expert at parenting, including myself. And we want to be able to give you a guide and framework for your children so that when you're taking these children home, we know that they're safe, that they're well, and that uh, you've been given good advice as to how to manage your children from visit to visit. So what are the current recommendations when it comes to sleeping for newborns? You know, it seems to me that it changes all the time. You know, my son, he's 12, and I think it may be different what they told us 12 years ago than what it is today. So what are the recommendations now on the back, on their stomach? What are the recommendations? Uh, Great question, Rodney. Uh, There's been uh, plenty of studies in terms of what's the best appropriate sleeping position and as you said, the, the recommendation is uh, sleeping on their back. And uh, the science is really strong to show that those kids who sleep on their back have a less uh, incidence of sudden infant death syndrome. And that incidence can go throughout the first year of life, particularly up to eight, six months of age. Okay, so let's move on to ages 5 through 10. How often should children age 5 to 10, how often should they be seeing their pediatrician? So for the 5 to 10-year-old range, they should still be coming in every year. Okay. Unless there's some uh, specific concern that the doctors have that might warrant uh, having them seen sooner, but usually once a year. And that usually is recommended after age two to three years of age, we recommend once a year. Okay. And so what are some of the biggest issues that parents are concerns that parents should be looking for in that age group in terms of their child's health? The one most important thing, and kids are starting to get into school, and I always emphasize to the children first, or to the parents is starting to read to the children early, as early as they can look at you in the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they are, we've shown these kids are cognitively stronger. They actually speak sooner and actually read sooner when you provide that level of, um, of reading from uh, books. And so I think that's the most important thing is getting them uh, kindergarten prepared. The other thing is safety. So one of the things we emphasize at this young age is, you know, safety in the home in terms of protecting them from things that they can get injured because they don't have very many boundaries that they keep. And certainly outside the home, when they're riding their bicycles, they need to have helmets and uh, strangers, you know, how to manage strangers. 
And uh, the other thing I think is really continue to make sure that they continue their immunization schedules. So people think when they're five, they don't need any more vaccines. Uh, flu vaccines yearly are important. And uh, just continue to make sure that they're growing well and anticipatory guidance about what things we can expect for them to, um, to get into. Doctor, you just mentioned vaccinations, and I know that that's one source of controversy. What do you tell parents there that are leery of vaccinations? Well, one of the things I had to talk last evening with a group of uh, young ladies from the inner city and, and emphasize the importance of vaccinations. We've been blessed with such incredible science, and uh, these have been proven and studied, and they've been very effective. And there's a lot of diseases uh, that a lot of doctors in training have never seen because of our vaccination practices. And there's some third world countries that wish they had the vaccine programs that we have here in this country to prevent a lot of diseases. And a lot of diseases are preventable with vaccines. Vaccines are safe. Uh, The risk profile is very low, but the benefits far outweigh any uh, potential side effects with those. Let's talk about childhood obesity, because we know that kids today have a more sedentary lifestyle with video games and screen time and things like that. Let's talk about childhood obesity. I'll start out by saying that childhood, as long as we have, we're a rich country, we're going to have obese children because of the wealth of resources that we have near us. And unfortunately, in uh, the inner city areas, we have too many fast food places and very few places where there's uh, fresh produce. So in many areas and uh, areas that uh, we have very few grocers, um, we have what we call food deserts, where we don't have the access to these places by transportation and they're just not accessible. So you're not going to be able to have the foods that are much more healthier for us. Um, obesity should be discussed as early as infancy in terms of making sure that kids are eating appropriately and they will model the parents. So the parents are not eating well or healthy. The children will resemble their appearance. We know that if you have parents, uh, even by the age of probably four or five years of age, if you have two parents in the household who are obese, you're a 50% chance of also being obese. And there's also complications that come with being obese, diabetes, heart disease, orthopedic issues that come. So it's important to really address nutritional issues at birth with breastfeeding and all the other great things that come with uh, eating more naturally. Okay. And what else do you want parents to know? Yeah, Ronnie, the the concern is parents don't look within themselves Mm -hmm. to really say, if I'm smoking, chances are my kids are going to smoke, not to mention secondhand smoking. If you're eating unhealthy, your children are going to follow the same behavior. So the parents need to look within themselves. First of all, they need to model or be a model of better behavior. And that includes many other things besides just eating. So if they begin to say, this is how it's going to be done, beginning with that primary parent in the household, then I think all the children need to follow that. And you can see positive results of that. But it also requires getting to your doctor visits, making sure you get the appropriate labs when necessary, and following your growth curves to find out where you are on your spectrum or even knowing what we call the body mass index. And that's an indicator of um, how much weight you have that you probably shouldn't have uh, in terms of indications for obesity or being you're just overweight. And in case you're just tuning in this morning, you're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear. This morning, it's all about your health. Right now, we're talking about children's health and teen health. We're talking to Dr. Bradley Jackson. We're also talking to Dr. Emmanuel Chandler. Now, let's bring Dr. Chandler in here. Let's talk about the teenage years. And Dr. Chandler, when we get to those teenage years, and it's just like a couple of months away for me, how often should teenagers be seeing their doctor? So, yeah, so teenagers should be seeing their doctors at least yearly. So once a year for the annual physical, but then also seeing them, of course, if anything arises, they have questions or the parents have questions or the doctor has questions they want to follow up. Okay, so I would think that this is a really I'm just going to use the word tricky 
time uh-huh. for, for young people. I think they're probably going through a lot. We've all been there. Acne and all this other yep. kind of stuff. So it's a lot to manage, I'm sure, for these young people. Yeah, most definitely. So this, you know, I call the, these years the transitional years for kids, basically. So they're going, they no longer want to be qualified as children, but they're not quite adults yet. And they're, and they're trying to navigate. Um, so, yeah, so it's very, it's very hard, very tricky. Their hormones are changing. They're going through puberty. So it's really important for parents and physicians also to really engage and kind of find out what's going on in their child's life, making sure that you're talking to your child every day, being non-judgmental when you're talking to them, too, because they're going through so many different changes. So this is the age group I understand that a lot of young people decide, you know, I don't want mom. I don't need mom and dad in the examination room with the doctor. I have this. I can talk to my doctor. So, you know, during their um, annual physicals, typically we as pediatricians and adolescent medicine specialists, we always invite the parents to come back with their kid first. But we do educate the parents that at this time, you know, we want to help your child transition into adulthood, taking care of their own health care. So there is always that point where we're going to ask the parent to step out of the room. Everything we talk to the child about, we tell them it's going to be confidential. We want to keep it between us and your child. Of course, if there's things that come up where we're concerned about their safety, concerned about their well-being, we're definitely going to let the parents know. This is a still a, um, a team effort. We're not just kicking the parents out and saying, you know, let your child fly on their own. It's still all about a team effort. So we definitely want to make sure the kid has that autonomy to talk to their physician and feel comfortable, but also keeping the parents involved, too. No, I agree wholeheartedly with Dr. Chandler. Though. Those are important things. And one of the key issues that go on at that particular age group is of, uh, of their identity. Who am I? And so, unfortunately, some kids may seek a false identity from their peer groups that they want to be along. They want to belong. Uh, but they also want to show that I, as I'm growing, I'm separating from my parents, but still know that there's still this arm length. I need you. So they're in a very difficult time. And Dr. Chandler, you know, mentioned the importance of not being judgmental. Uh, and it's hard because this is how my parents raised me. I want to do the right. same thing with my kids. But there are things that you wish your parents didn't do that you need to say, boy, I need to be more open with my son or daughter to say, just give them an open forum for discussion. They may not have the final decision, but there's an open forum to discussion and they'll let their opinions are valued. So let's talk about the big thing, the HPV um, vaccination. I know that's another one, vaccination that's very controversial, something that we start to see with when we're getting into these teenage years. Um, years ago, it was the recommendations were just for girls. Now it's for boys. I was relieved when it was just for girls because I I have two boys. But now I have boys and and it's recommended for boys. What do you tell parents there? And before we get into that, um, let's give a little bit of background on what HPV is and um, tell us about the recommendations. Sure. So HPV is human papillomavirus. So it's a virus. It's a common, actually sexually transmitted disease virus, but it also causes cancer. So what we typically tell parents is that we recommend kids getting this vaccination starting at the age 11 and 12 years old. Um, so the vaccine, what we tell parents is, is there really to protect against cancer. Um, that's the big thing. We want to prevent cervical cancer in girls and also penile cancer in boys. I want to add one thing to that. Um, even though this vaccine uh, has been shown to be extremely effective in uh, you know preventing the genital warts that come with that, as well as the cervical cancer in uh, the women, um, this is not an excuse not to use condoms. And so they still need to be protected because some have this loose idea that because I got this vaccine, I'm not going to get this. But there's HIV, there's gonorrhea, syphilis, and a variety of other sexually transmitted diseases and pregnancy. So I think they need to be mindful of you still need to, first of all, abstinence is the best defense. Correct. And so if you want to prevent any of these things, you shouldn't have sex until you get married. 
So I think uh, that's important, but we still have to be realistic about these teenagers. And we find there's a significant number of sexually active children before they uh, actually enter into college. So it's it, it, the numbers are pretty high, and well over 50%, probably closer to 70%, have done some type of sexual act uh, or behavior that puts them at risk for all those uh, diseases we just noted. And from what I'm learning is that kids today, they define sex differently. So what you may think as a sex act, they don't necessarily think of as a sex act themselves. That is correct. So, you know, we talk a lot about in our clinic to our patients about sex and sexual activity, and you really have to define, find out from them what they define as sex, right? So certain acts of certain kids are not considered to be sex. And so you really have to figure out from the adolescent, from the kid, what they define as sex. And also as a physician, we help define what sex actually is. Okay. So when you, you're a parent and you're talking to your child about sex, you, I mean, you have to really break it down. Right. You yeah. do. Okay. We're seeing the rise in teenage suicide and depression. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you tell patients there when you're, you're working with young people? Um, what's your message there? Right. So a lot of times, first thing I ask patients is kind of how their mood and how things are going for them. So I just figure out like, you know, how they're feeling every day. How do they, um, how do they express their emotions when they're feeling down or feeling sad? How do they, how do they express that to their peers or to their family members? Um, one thing I discuss is that, you know, depression is not an uncommon thing that anyone can encounter depression. And the biggest thing is remember that there are people out there that you can talk to. So I try to encourage my patients to, to identify an individual in their um, life that they can talk to, whether it's their mom, their dad, um, a physician, a trusted relative, um, to talk about those emotions and stuff when they come up. What do we know about what are some of the issues that today that lead most teens or young people to consider suicide? What do we know? What are they in generally struggling with? And I know that's hard to put it in this general box, but what mm-hmm. do we know about that? So I know a lot of a lot of studies have shown that, of course, like bullying um, can lead to suicide and things of that nature. Life changes, like if there's like a lot of um, stress in the family or stress in their life, um, that can also lead to depression or suicide. Well, I think one of the things is uh, we talked about uh, the sexual identity, mm. defining, you know, what am I? Uh, should I have relationships as a, as a male with other young men or with women? And they have some confusion. So it's really uh, identity and confusion in that area. And so when children come in for their well visits, one of the things, you know, we may ask is, do you feel down, depressed or, or hopeless? You may be hopeless in the thought that I don't know what direction I should go. And you can be easily influenced by your peers because you feel more loved. You feel more taken in that you may not be receiving from your parents because they don't know how to express it. They don't want to tell their parents because they may be upset. So they go to the area of least resistance. So you have to be real sensitive about that, that nature of conversation, which that makes it so more pertinent to have a one-on-one with that individual because they're not going to express that in front of their parents. And then you have to, as a clinician or provider, you have to say, how do I deliver this information put them in a safe place and not make them feel too vulnerable and be hurt. So we have to make sure we find the right providers to counsel them and talk to them and be very, um, very clever in how we get them the best care possible without destroying their, their sense of vulnerability and trust. And those things are so important. So at what age do these young people, when you see young people that are questioning those you know, things. it's funny. You know, you think of Bruce Jenner. I mean, he was, what, in the right. 60s? Right. <laughs> so we can occur at a variety of different ages. Right, exactly. But I think when you begin to see um, physical changes in them and hormonally, there are some changes that go on and their their self-identity, 
their appearance, self-image, are those are the that's a vulnerable period with them. They're changing. They're I mean evolving into totally different people. That you have to be mindful of that as as well as the conversation. Who are they associating with? Who are their friends? And so it'd be good to find out who their friends are, what type of behaviors they're doing, and really have that regular talk with them to say, how is life going for you? What do you feel about yourself? Do you feel like you're growing into the person you have always desired to be, or at least what we hoped you would be? So we have to have those deep conversations. And judgment is is a very difficult thing. It's very difficult, and it's hard not to judge. Uh, but I think it's important to have those conversations that are one where you just keep it open-ended and have positive. And when you think that there's something that's just not right, changes in behaviors, then they need to get to a counselor or someone uh, could help them with those uh, thoughts. We encourage um, our parents to start having that conversation with their kids around the ages like 11 and 12, so the preteen years, because that's when they're really starting to, their bodies are starting to change. They're really starting to really um, trying to figure out who they are and who they identify with. And so I'm learning as a parent myself that it's important to, I think we had the talk with our boys during that talk, we told them, you know, you can always come to mom and dad. You can talk to us about anything. But I think one thing that you probably, you just have to be very specific. Come and talk to mommy and daddy when you feel lost, when you feel afraid, when you feel lonely, when you feel hurt, when you feel anxious. It, because just saying that, just something that I learned, you can talk to us about anything. But for, in their world, I guess they don't know what anything is. So when you're feeling lost, confused, angry, lonely, let's talk about those things. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys so much for taking time to talk to me. Pray for me because I'm getting into those teenage years. <laughs> need to have that conversation <laughs> yes. tonight. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you're right. All right. Thank you guys for taking time to talk to us. And if our listeners, if they would like to find out more about you guys, if they would like to reach out to you guys, um, Dr. Chandler, how can they find out more about you? Yes, yeah, so I, I am at Cincinnati Children's. So you can contact the Teen Health Center. Um, there, or you can find me on Facebook at Emmanuel Chandler, MD. Okay, and Dr. Bradley Jackson, uh, Premier Pediatric Group. Um, you can find our practice at Premier Peds. That's P R E M I E R P E D S dot net on our website, uh, or our phone number is five one three seven seven zero three four six six. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, we've been speaking to Dr. Bradley Jackson and Dr. Emmanuel Chandler. For more information on anything you may have missed this morning, go to our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Head there now and like us there now. Well, that's it for this edition of the show. I'm Rodney Lear. Until next week, be encouraged.